Well, good morning, First Family Church. If you have your Bibles, you can open them up. First Peter chapter 1, verse 13. My name is Stan Hayek. I get to be on staff here with the next generation directing that ministry. Been something that's been a part of my ministry career, 15 years, really working with next generation. In fact, it's fun. I saw one of my like first ever youth group guys come in today with three children and his wife. I'm like, okay, I'm getting older. Um, but privileged to, to lead a team. You might not know this, but on an average Sunday in our kids' ministry, elementary kids and, and on down, there's just over 200 back in the kids' wing on a Sunday. Then they do it again on Wednesday, and about all those same kids come back for Awana. On high school, middle school, got about 100 students on a weekly basis, and we just started college ministry, and I, I kind of get to lead the team that oversees those other areas, but I get to be on the front lines of college ministry. We just started this semester, had about 25 students on a weekly basis. Uh, God is doing some really great things, and so um, if you needed any kind of motivation for all this next generation ministry, I would just direct your attention to the, the salvation kind of timeline we have out there. I have a picture of this. If you haven't seen it, it's by the door as you come in. But as you look at this picture of the, the salvation timeline, um, hopefully it'll come up here, you'll see kind of where people are uh, making their marks. And we even kind of adjusted the scale for increments, but you see those less than 25, it's pretty much just a solid block down there. Uh, that is why First Family Church, we invest so heavily in the next generation. It just uh, what God is doing there, I think Todd even shared just statistically that 70 to 80% of, of salvation commitments are made in those kind of pre-college uh, college years. And so um, you just see that even in our own kind of timeline here in the foyer and just so thankful for you guys' investment and support. So we're going to dive into 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 13. Just one verse today. So if you have your journals, uh, you can open up there. Uh, now, I just want to coach you as I'm getting ready to preach I'm going to need a little bit of interaction, right? I just don't want to talk. I, I need to interact. I need to to make sure uh, you're picking up what I've been putting down, okay? Amen? Okay, so if I told you, this is a true thing, if I told you, and I, I wanna hear a proper kind of interaction with this, if I told you right now that Travis is leading the largest baptism class we've ever had in the life of First Family Church, you would say? Amen, Amen. yeah, that, that's a proper response. Yeah, he told me that this morning, and it's fun. We've got a couple of college students that just gave their life to Christ. They're in there today talking about getting baptized, along with a whole host of others. And so, this proper reaction. So, keep that going today. I need you to interact a little bit as we preach God's Word here. The text is 1 Peter 1.13, and I'm going to read it as we dive in. It'll be on the screen, too, if you need it. It says this, Therefore, preparing your minds for action... And being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So, as we interact here, when we see it therefore in Scripture, we have to ask what it is. Thank you. Some of you guys have been to Sunday school, all right? So we got to say, well, what came before this in light of what? Well, before this, by way of review, we see in verses 4 and 5, it says that that we were born again to this inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, 
kept in heaven for you, who by God's power is being guarded. What we've talked about leading up to this is we have a secure position eternally because what God has done through saving us. In fact, in Ephesians uh, chapter 1, verse 5, it's, it uses language of adoption. We've been adopted if we've been born again. I don't know if you know this, but like if you adopt a child, I don't believe any parent would unadopt their child based on their performance, right? We have a secure position, not based on our merit, but based on Christ. And it's imperishable, guarded by God. That's what the text before this said. And he's going to go in verse 10, he would say, man, the prophets of old, they could only see this in part. They, they long to see it in full. The angels can only see it in part. But you get to see it in full in verse 12. You know Jesus is Savior. You have a secure position. Therefore, in light of that, good news, he says, prepare your minds for action. Now, how, how many of you, your, your Bible has a little footnote? You see that, that little A or something like that, right? That takes you to the bottom. You guys have that in yours? <laughs> what's, what, what's that, uh, prepare your minds for action? What's the way that it says? That means this. In Greek, that phrase is girding up the loins of your mind, okay? <laughs> Gird up your loins. Uh, this would have been more of a, a common expression. I actually brought a picture uh, of, of what it would look like to gird up your loins, okay? Uh, so you see the, like, the big muscular guy looking like wearing the dress sort of deal? That's a tunic. And so it wouldn't allow you to fight in battle very well. So to gird it up, you kind of pull it forward, tuck it through like a diaper, and then just tie it around. Uh, I love like the kind of the, the imagery there. I was thinking about this. Rompers are the new fashion trend for females. Rompers are just pre-girded dresses, okay? So you can move around. And I hope you, when you see a romper now this spring as it gets warm, you think of 1 Peter 1.13. And so the idea behind this is like you could be ready for action. And, and what Peter's talking about here is he's not talking about clothes. He says, you need to gird up the loins of your mind, meaning you need to get your head right. You need to be ready for action. Tighten it up. He's saying, therefore, in light of this eternally secure position, get your head right. So what's a girded mind to be thinking of? How do we get our head right? What are we thinking of? In a word, apocalypse. We need to be thinking about the apocalypse. You're like, are you serious right now? Yeah, that's what our text actually says. No. That, and that's our topic for today. If you're, if you're, whoa, should trim that beard a little more. Uh, if you're following, you're like, wait, the last time you taught here, Todd had you teach on Satan, and now you get to teach on the apocalypse. You are keeping track, okay? Uh, that's correct. Uh, but I'm excited. And so that's our topic today. In, in that word, revelation of Jesus Christ, in the Greek, apocalypsis, which is where we get the, the phrase apocalypse. We're saying this, this and, and what it really means is, is, is just revealing. That's how it's translated. Apocalypse is translated revealing. Now, I know when I say, think about the apocalypse, perhaps some of like these images come to, to mind uh, when our, think about the, the total destruction of the world. This event involving a catastrophic just damage and destruction. There's a fascination that Hollywood has 
with apocalypse. In fact, since uh, between 2010 and 2019, so in that kind of 10-year window, those in Hollywood made 109 films about the apocalypse in some way, shape, or form. Uh, that's nearly one a month for, for 10 years. And there's more before that and since that. And this each great revealing had a different thing. It's like the end of the world is coming because apes are taking over or aliens, asteroids, machines, like something, you know, they got to conjure up that like this is going to bring the end of the world as we know it. Now, I think you guys know that looking to Hollywood uh, for truth is not the best place to look, but scripture does say that the world will come to an end as we know it, but the biblical explanation in verse 13 is that there is gonna be this apocalypsis, this revealing of Jesus Christ. A better image would be that found in Revelation 19. I just want to read Revelation 19, and there's an image going to go up behind me. But Revelation 19 says this, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and one sitting on it, called Faithful and True. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like flames of fire, and his head are many diadems, and on them a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which... He is called the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth come a sharp sword, which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has written, uh, his name written, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. I love that. Even verse 16, it conjures up, we're talking about our small group, this imagery that he's got it girded up. That you can see it on his robe and on his thigh. How can you see his thigh? He's got it girded up, ready for action. Jesus is coming back, King of kings, Lord of lords. That's the, the great revealing. That's when the world, as we kind of know it, comes in end, and Jesus is going to establish the new heavens and the new earth. And so some... Right now, you're watching, you're asking, man, is that like soon? <laughs> like, are we, are we there? Because uh, you look around and you see that, that Russia is invading Ukraine. There's seemingly an increase in natural disasters happening, worldwide pandemics. And so Christians and even non-Christians alike are, are perhaps prepping for the apocalypse, storing up freeze-dried food, ammunition, building fallout shelters. In fact, when I was looking about the, like, the apocalypse, you type it in, it's like, fallout shelters. You can buy a great bunker right now in Indiana or South Dakota, right, at a great price if you're, if you're looking for a bunker. Um, in fact, those who are preparing for when things get crazy have their own kind of name, preppers, right? Have you heard this? Preppers, and from our text, we do see that there will be an apocalypse, this revealing of Jesus Christ. It is inevitable. That day is coming. But I would just say it like this. May God have mercy if he finds professing Christians prepping for that day by spending more on freeze-dried food and ammunition than we do on missions to seek and save lost souls. May God have mercy on us if we spend more time prepping a bunker than we do prepping our kids. 
I was talking about this with somebody and say, may God have mercy if we find ourselves getting caught up with how to like save our lives and make things comfortable versus just repenting of sin. We are called to prep. But he's saying you should be preparing your minds. <laughs> and again, I'm not trying to make some some absolute, you know, kind of statement that, that any kind of like preparing for your family or, or, or thinking of something, but I'm just, you know what I'm going after, right? That the Christian kind of world and, and our culture as we know it has become so wrapped up in this idea of got to do everything we can to protect our health and got to do everything we can do to, can, to protect. And, and I think it's preventing us from living on mission, recognizing that that day is coming 2 Thessalonians 2, uh, verses 1 and 2, said it like this. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, don't be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed. Some of this is is not new. Things haven't always been great. (laughs) There's been world wars that have taken place. In fact, after World War II, C.S. Lewis wrote this during these times of trouble, he said this, and and perhaps you've seen this. This is the first point to be made, and the first action to be taken is to pull ourselves together. If we are all going to be destroyed by an atomic bomb, then let that bomb, when it comes, find us doing sensible and human things, praying, working, teaching, reading, listening to music, bathing the children, playing tennis, chatting to our friends over a pint, in a game of darts, not huddled together like frightened sheep and thinking about bombs. They may break our bodies, but they need not dominate our minds. We should be prepping, so long as it's the right kind of prepping. And what he says in verse 13 is we need to be preparing our minds for action, being sober. The take-home truth is this that we'll kind of unpack a little bit. Is Jesus is coming back, are you prepping? Now, we need to be preparing, but how do we get our minds right? I'd say one of the first points for preparing in the right kind of ways is don't be so consumed with the timing of when all this is going to happen, but rather the person of Jesus Christ. Acts 1, 7 So it is not for you to know the times or the dates that the Father has set by his own authority. God knows that. He knows when he's coming back, but it's not for us to know is what Scripture says. In fact, you can be certain if somebody says, hey, Jesus is certainly coming back on this day. You can rest assured it's not that day. Next time you see a billboard, be like, okay, I'm good that day. Because if you know for certain, you don't know. We don't know. It's not about calculating the day, but rather in in, in figuring out the timing, but rather looking forward to the person. If that date was discovered, we would no longer need to be keeping watch and being ready, as Matthew 24 says. And so, as believers, with preparing our minds, we don't get consumed with the timing of when all this is going to go down, but rather the person of Jesus Christ. It begs the question, though, there's, there's a lot of what about the timing? And I would just say it like this. In, in light of this truth, at First Family Church, we are pro-coming. How and when, that's going to be a discussion. 
And there's several different end times views that are out there. And even within your own elder team here at First Family, there is men on that team that hold different views of, of the timing of those last day kind of events when Jesus comes back. But because, again, we hold more to the person of Jesus rather than the timing, that's been something that we've chosen to not create division over. And so end times doctrine isn't something we divide over. It's something we discuss. And we can discuss the timing, but again, the primary emphasis of the text from Matthew 24 is that we would be watchful, that we would be ready, that we would be preparing our minds if your mind's going to be thinking about it right, you're, you're concerned more about the person of Jesus rather than the time by which he's coming. How else do we get to prepping? What does our text say? It says, set your hope. And this idea of our hope is this full trust, this joy while waiting. He's saying, set your hope. And then he uses a new word, fully or completely, your translation might say. It's to say, he's saying, set your hope. It's like to say, be fully fully committed, confident in this. Be fully, fully confident. Set your hope fully. That's what he's kind of saying there. The best illustration I can give, anybody play cards? You? All right, there's the heathens, all right? The card players, right? No judgment. Uh, when I was in college, we played a little game, a uh, little Texas Hold'em that was all the rage back in the day. Uh, but in cards, in poker specifically, to get a royal flush is a rare hand. It's not a one in a million hand. It's one in 2,598,960 hands that you would get that. Very, very rare. <laughs> now, can you imagine being dealt that hand, a royal flush? What he's saying is, is, is you can be fully, fully confident Nothing can beat you. And so when it comes time to make your wager, if you're holding a royal flush, you can be all in, all the chips, with a smile on your face, because nothing can beat you. What he's saying here, in light of the text, is you can go all in on what? The grace that will be revealed to you when, when, when Jesus Christ comes. Be all in, be fully, fully confident on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus. Now, grace, I need to unpack that word a little bit. Grace, uh, by illustration, when I married my wife, Sarah, I had over $20,000 in college debt. The more sad part about that is I didn't realize I was taking out student loans until the last semester of my senior year. Not real great with money. Uh, and then like, you have you know, a lot of debt. And uh, explaining this to my wife, mercy would have been this. Mercy would have been her helping me pay off that debt. I did not receive mercy from my wife. I received grace. She paid off the debt and helped me buy a new truck. That's grace. Grace is beyond, like it's abundantly generous, gifting, saying, uh, be fully, fully confident on the grace, this grace that God has for us, where he's not just showing us mercy, which is to, to wipe our slate clean, to forgive us of our sins. That's mercy. Grace is this, that, that when Jesus comes back, he's taking us with him. That because of grace, we are adopted children, sons and daughters, 
that we have an inheritance. We're not just simply forgiven, but we are a part of the family where we have this inheritance. He's saying, I want you to be fully, fully confident on the grace that is coming to you at the revelation, apocalypsis, of Jesus Christ. Be fully, fully confident in that. Now, I find myself sometimes wanting to not put all my chips there on the grace that's coming to me in that day, to us in that day, when it's kind of fully revealed. We experience that grace in part now, but on that day in full, when all those promises come true, sometimes I want to put a little chips elsewhere. And I think an alternative spot to kind of put our hope is in these temporary things. And maybe you've had somebody come to you that is suffering. And, and there's challenges. I don't, I, you can keep it broad, but whatever those kind of sufferings are, and it's easy for me in, t- in the temptation in that time when somebody says, man, this is the struggle I'm going through. Say so it's loss of a job or loss of a loved one or, or whatever. Say, hey, man, God will alleviate your pain. In order to say, you can take hope that the pain will pass. Or if there's a trial, it's easy to say, oh man, I'm sorry that you're enduring that trial. I'm sure God will work it out in such a way that you want him to. We, what we do in that time, we're saying, you should take hope in the alleviation of your circumstances. You should take hope in this. Rather than where he says in 1 Peter 1.13, where we should point in them to hope, we say, take hope here. And we start writing checks on God's behalf that we have no authority to write and we certainly can't cash. Because maybe, maybe God will mercifully alleviate their suffering. Or maybe they'll get to follow in the footsteps of Jesus Christ and be crucified at the hands of wicked people. We don't know how that's going to work out. And so to, to point people and say, hey, you should find hope over here that's in their circumstances as finding hope apart from Jesus Christ robs from Jesus And moreover, is not something that we can actually promise them, but rather what we see in the text is saying, if you want to offer comfort to those, if you want to offer them hope, here's where you can point them to. The hope and confidence that is theirs that when Jesus comes back, there's going to be grace. When Jesus comes back, he'll make all things well, he'll wipe away every tear, there will be no more brokenness, no more hurt, no more pain, No more sin in the world. When Jesus comes back and establishes the new heavens and the new earth, they can take confidence and hope in that. That on that day, there'll be this abundant grace. And I just, as Todd was teaching the last couple weeks, asked myself, like, do I look forward to the revelation of Jesus Christ? It's easy to look back at salvation, but uh, do I look forward, do you look forward to, man, one day Jesus is coming back, the revelation of Jesus Christ. We would do well to do that. That's what a prepared mind, girded up, sober looks like as we are fully, fully confident on the grace that's coming to us in that day. So Jesus is coming back, are you prepping? And here's a great litmus test. If you're thinking in that direction, I would say it like this. Your eagerness for that day, your eagerness to meet Jesus is a great indicator 
if you're prepping your mind in the right ways. How eager are you for that day? And if you're holding on to like a little K kingdom, like my kingdom, and well, I, you know, I kind of wanted to get married, or I, I, I kind of had this trip planned, or if you're holding on to a little K kingdom, you're probably not that eager. But if you're holding on to the big K kingdom, serving the Lord, following the pattern that Jesus has set, you're probably more eager. As we battle to advance the kingdom and selflessly take up our cross daily, I think we're gonna resonate with Paul to say, man, to live is Christ. When I read that, I mean, to live is Christ, taking up his cross, serving. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Man, to live is Christ. To die, that's gain, Philippians 1.21 would say. And those hearts that are preparing in the right ways, I believe some of your most honest prayers are, come, Lord Jesus, come. If that is the posture of your heart, man, I would say, man, your mind is being prepared in the right ways. If you can get behind, come, Lord Jesus, come. I think of those that are battling in this way, that their minds are kind of girded up. Those that went out with the church plant uh, that we just commissioned last week, AGC. I think of those right now that left the comforts and the conveniences of a well-established church environment, long-term friends, some of those people have been here years and years, but with girded up minds to say, you know what? A way that lost people are gonna come to know Jesus is through new works, new church, and so we're gonna go across town and we're gonna start a new church. I think of those that are in this room that are considering moving overseas, long-term, leaving the comforts and the conveniences of the freedoms we have here to go to some countries that might not be so pleasant to live in, but the people there have not heard the name of Jesus. And it's only with a girded up mind in light of that Jesus is coming back one day that they can live with that kind of mindset. And think of those, the family members that are gonna be the ones also that aren't gonna be able to see their kids and grandkids. The only way you can get behind that is if you have that mindset that, that one day Jesus is gonna be coming back. And so how do we wanna be found in that day? It's, it's with this kind of mindset that, that people here at First Family say, I want to serve. I want, I've been blessed, so I'm going to be a blessing. So when I come on a Sunday, I want to say, how can I serve? And so it's with that mindset. You see people out in the parking lot directing you. You see people serving in kind of our kids' ministry. And I'm thinking, what a great place to be when Jesus comes back on that white horse, holding babies in the nursery. Are we prepping in the right ways, because the take-home truth is this. Jesus is coming back. Are you prepping? He's going to go on in the text, not going to cover it, but he's going to say, don't be ignorant. Rather, you got to be holy. Set yourselves apart. We will meet Jesus. Either he's coming back or we're going to him. We're going to meet Jesus. I failed to mention this earlier, but our response, like our eagerness 
in that day, I think, sends a message to people. Like when we're prepping and, and, and maybe storing up stuff, I think it's confusing to those kind of outside the church where it's like, they say they love Jesus, but they really don't seem excited to meet him. Want to be consistent. And so either Jesus is going to come back in our day or we're going to go meet him, but we will stand before him. And I want to operate with a level of urgency. And I think... Man, I'll try to get emotional in this part, but I think part of this is, is, is heavier on my heart. This will be the 20-year anniversary of my father passing away this summer. I was 17. He was 44, a uh, tractor accident on the farm. Um, and I start to think about that now that I'm 37, and I think of, man, that's seven years that I would have left in, in my family medical history isn't real great. And even like me following in my dad's footsteps, like tractor accidents, like I slammed my hand in a tractor door the other day while I was at the farm. I was there for like 10 minutes and I, I managed to hurt myself. And so things don't look good for me long term. Uh, I'm just being real honest, like the sobriety. My wife is doing all she can to like help me, but it is an uphill battle to keep me here uh, long term. And so... Uh, just this reality, I think the, the sobriety of, of that with my, my father's passing, the anniversary of that, it, it makes me want to live with urgency. What am I going to do? Either Jesus is coming back in my day or I'm going to go meet him really soon. And if it's not in death, it's just the urgency I want to have with my own family. I, I start to think my oldest is 11. I got, what, six or seven summers left with her before she goes off to college? When you start looking at this, the psalm, I think it's Psalm 90, verse 12, says, teach us to number our days, O Lord, that we would gain a heart of wisdom. When we can have this perspective, I believe it starts to bring about the right level of priorities and the right sense of urgency for our life. And I hope that some of you right now, perhaps moms and dads in this room, that, that you would feel that sense of urgency with your family, with your kids. Jesus will gloriously be revealed. And because our minds are tightened up, we're thinking about that. In the grace that will be due us in that day as his sons and daughters. And so therefore, we live in light of that so we don't have to have it all here. We don't have to build our little K kingdom here on earth knowing that he's going to usher in his big K kingdom on that day. And on that day, we want to be found faithful. I just want to give you a chance. I'm going to invite the, the, the worship team back up here. But I just want to give you an opportunity to reflect. And we're going to celebrate uh, communion here in a little bit. But could you just in a, a state of prayer, just bow your heads and would you humbly just ask God what he would have for you in light of this? Lord, is there anything you're speaking to me and to my heart now? God, we do. We come before you. And we thank you so much for being our Savior. And we acknowledge you as Lord of our lives. And so, Lord, would you have your way here and now in our lives. Lord, our hope, our, we are fully, fully hope-filled 
about the grace that is coming when you come back for your bride, the church. So Lord, would you please, in light of that, anything that we're doing in our lives that's contrary to that, Lord, would you please transform our thinking and transform our ways to be consistent with the hope that we have in you, Jesus. That's our prayer. Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more messages, visit firstfamily.church forward slash sermons or subscribe to our podcast feed. Thanks for listening.